values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Here's a headline from AZ Central. Rising tensions over fentanyl smuggling exposes rift in U.S.-Mexico relationship. Um, let's establish that relationship for a moment. Um, <clears throat> first of all, with the governments, the United States government, obviously with the renegotiation of NAFTA and the USMCA, there is a solid foundation relationship and income and trade between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Uh, that's been established. Uh, we also understand that uh, the number one trading partner of the state of Arizona is Mexico. We have got an ongoing, continuing, great economic relationship with the people of Mexico. But it goes much deeper than that here. And I would say even nationwide. Um, How many of you uh, if, if it's not you personally, how many of us, because I am not of Mexican descent, um, how many of you are friends with someone that has family members still in Mexico? They're American citizens or they're here in our country legally, but they are uh, they have family members. Their heritage is from Mexico. They still embrace the culture. Uh, many times they still embrace the language. They are Americans. They're proud to be here, but they have family members in Mexico. And I would say that every single one of us knows people. My closest friend in high school, um, parents are both from Mexico. Uh, They speak Spanish in the house. They spoke English outside of the house. Um, His father, my buddy Adam's father, taught me so much about work ethic and uh, and just was a was a really is a really good guy. Um, The reason why I bring that up is that there there are deeper relationships here. Um, There are Colombians that live in the U.S., many of them. In the 1980s, the numbers were smaller, but there were there are there is a connection between Colombian Americans and their 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 former country. But it's not like the relationship with Mexico. The numbers are different. And the reason why I say that is it's not just geography. It's not because we share a border. It isn't just because of the huge economic relationship and reliance we have on each other. But it is also much deeper than that. And here in Arizona, how many of you regularly go to Rocky Point? How many of you where is that where you have a business or you have a home, a condo, where you spend a large amount of your downtime is in Mexico. Rocky Point, Puerto Panasco, if you're new to Arizona, that is kind of the, the Mexican destination for Phoenicians, for the people in the valley. Uh, we also know that a lot of people from Mexico, a lot of the Mexican citizens, make their way north and, and do the same thing we do. We go down to Mexico to relax and to shop. Many Mexicans come north and come to Arizona to shop and to relax. I say all of these things because fentanyl is ripping both countries apart. Um, we are watching mayhem. The cartels are being empowered and emboldened and enriched, and everybody else is suffering. Um, you know, again, this is here we, we're going to go down the political road, but the vice president of the United States, who has been charged with being the drug czar or the border czar, whatever you want to call her, has done absolutely nothing. More work has been done. By Senator Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, and was it Cornyn of Texas? I think she went with um, to Mexico, where they met with the Mexican president Obrador and discussed what can be done with our two countries and trying to come to an agreement on how we stop and what we do with China 
uh, sending these chemicals, these precursor chemicals into Mexico. And as the senator eloquently said, she was on the show last week. She said, you know, here in Arizona, uh, we know the results of these drugs, but many of the chemicals that are used to make this drug are specific to fentanyl. They have no other purpose. Now, there are other chemicals that do have other purposes, but what about the ones that are specific to fentanyl creation? Why are they being imported to Mexico? And the president of Mexico has said through the senator, as she told us, he said that they are going to hold China accountable for those chemicals. That's a start. We have to take some responsibility and ownership. Uh, We have to as a nation. There are Americans that are distributing this drug. They are bringing into the country. It is being muled into the U.S. mostly by Americans, and then it is being distributed across the U.S. What are we going to do about it? As a nation, we can talk to Mexico, and I think we should. It needs to be a um, two-part collaboration. And when you watch what's happening in Mexico, I know I'm oversimplifying, but you, you go back to the 80s and you see how what it took. What did it take happening in Colombia before they um, allowed help from the U.S.? What did it take in, in the southeastern United States, most specifically Miami, Florida? What did it take? Death of FBI agents in a shootout, um, the, the ramping up of arms of the cartels, and before it was taken seriously by the – of the federal government. The DEA was aware. The FBI was aware. People were working on some of these cases. They knew they were being overwhelmed. They knew that they were outgunned. They knew they were outmanned, and yet they were doing their jobs. It wasn't until late in the Reagan administration and then early in the Bush 41 administration that there was a concerted effort with the full force of the American government, not only in the enforcement end of the DEA and other federal agencies, but also in the Department of Justice and prosecution and breaking down these syndicates, these cartels. Now, are we going to wait as a country? Are we going to wait until that kind of growth in the cartels gets to that critical point where they rival the firepower of their own government, where they are so emboldened and brazen that they would go in and they're, they're already murdering law enforcement officers, but they're murdering high-level government officials, uh, challenging for government offices, and taking over entire towns and sections and states of their country before there is some kind of fix here? It is about all the Americans that are dying. First and foremost, the number one killer of young people is fentanyl. Why aren't we doing something about it? Number one. Number two is the enrichment of what's happening with the cartels that is eventually going to destabilize Mexico much further. The connection with the Mexican-Americans and their family to the south is much deeper than just looking at footage on television and saying, oh my gosh, that's horrible. You're talking about real family concern for the people they love and watching a country they love. You know, I have so many friends that are from Cuba and the Cuban Americans are proud Americans, but they love their island and they are devastated by what they've seen the Castros do to that island. And I would venture to say, and I can't speak for all people from Mexico, they are proud of their country. They are proud of their heritage. It is a beautiful country. And it's being torn apart in some places, and I would imagine they've got to see it as, as shameful and sad that their their country is being taken over the way it is. So I hope this relationship between the two countries is maintained, um, and I hope that we are able to come to some kind of a solution sooner rather than later because this is a very tough thing to deal with.
In a moment, um, another major corporation is announcing layoffs. Pretty big number, pretty big company. We'll get to it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Again, I appreciate you spending some time, as always, if you're hanging out with us for a bit. We're going to get back to, in just a few moments, what happened in Nashville. But I want to take a break and talk about the economy. Disney laying off begins this week. They've got 7,000 job losses coming. And here's another interesting statistic. The um, January Case-Shiller home price data just hit. San Francisco prices are down 17.1% from their post-COVID high, down 7.6% year-over-year. Seattle prices are down second most, down 5.5%. Miami was the only city to see a month-over-month increase now up 60.4% since pre-COVID levels. What's happening here in the Phoenix area when it comes to home prices? Um, We are down month over month 1.16%, year over year down 0.01%. Post-COVID changes since February of 2020, the Phoenix area has seen an increase in property value of 52.58% on average, but post-COVID it's down 10.5%. We are also seeing a stabilization here. We're in a different set of circumstances with the way our economy is going in Arizona, the direction we are headed. And I also think that we are a little bit different because we are a destination. The desert southwest is still where people are migrating to. So I think we are a bit of an anomaly in a good way. Um, but when we look overall at the economy, most people are, are concerned. Most people are worried about the direction that we are headed. Uh, I saw a poll that about 25 percent, one in four Democrats want the president to run for reelection. And whether or not you think it's fair or unfair, um, the the president's poll numbers go by the way of the economy. Um, President Bush, I'm talking about Bush 43, Bush was very popular in the wake of 9-11. He uh, won re-election fairly easily against John Kerry, but the last part of his term in the White House was riddled with the economic decline, what we saw in the housing crunch and the bubble bursting in the real estate market across the country. And it's my humble opinion that that played a big role in uh, John McCain not winning the election that time around, that the the Obama uh, campaign did a brilliant job of saying that um, the McCain economy would be a lot more of the same of the Bush economy and where we were. Now, whether that was fair or unfair, whether you can blame George W. Bush for all of that, and I don't think it's fair to do that either. Um, that is how the country goes. Um, so we understand where we are right now. We never thought we were going to be. And politics aside, we saw in during the Trump administration, and I know that anytime you say anything good about the Trump administration, you have to defend yourself, and I'm not going to. I'm just making an observation. The economy was going gangbusters during the Trump administration. It just was. We saw massive job increases. We saw massive uh, uh, wage increases. We saw zero inflation or very, very low inflation, meaning your raises really were raises in pay. We saw major corporations like Bank of America and Wells Fargo implement their own minimum wage rising or rises um, without being told by the government they had to. They set a minimum standard for employees to get and retain good people. And gas prices were below $3 a gallon for four years. 
Then we've seen we didn't think we'd be where we are now. You can blame COVID. There's a lot of different things. Russia, oil prices. There's a lot of things you can lay at the feet. But in the end, this country goes by way of the economy. And this president is not even popular with his own party. And a lot of it has to do because I think most people look at the response and say, I wish you'd do it faster. See, there's a difference. You know, I, you know where I stand politically. I, I'm very open about my political beliefs. So when something happens in my party, when somebody does something in my party that I don't like, I still talk about it. And I admit I don't like it. It's not fun going after people or topics that you know when you're in circles of your people, they're going to hold you accountable for it. They're not going to like what you said. That doesn't make it comfortable. But I cannot in good conscience rant and rave about the other side of the aisle and ignore it when something happens on my side of the aisle. So there are times when people on the left need to take that advice and do the same thing. And Democrats largely do. I'm not talking about the far left. I'm talking about Democrats. They look at what's happening and they say this president responds too little, too late. How many times I guarantee you that there were a lot of Democrats that cringed every time they heard that phrase transitory inflation. They were warned. This administration was warned. So America doesn't have a lot of confidence. They believe that the border response has been too little, too late. The economy response has been too little, too late. Inflation and otherwise too little, too late. And people are looking for something different. The other thing, and I talked about this, uh, I think, yesterday, a part of it is to – I think there's such good and bad in everything. My favorite word, I think, in our language is dichotomy because most things are. As I've said many times, it's a pretty thin slice of ham that doesn't have two sides. Um, And what – you know, there are lots to – there's a lot to complain about with social media and what you can find on the internet. But the good side of this is your access to information immediately. The American people have a better well-rounded view of things if they choose it. If you only choose to go to the websites that agree with you and the information that you want to hear, that's up to you. But people are hearing things and seeing things, and people are smart. And it doesn't matter what your political leanings are. We're looking at leadership, and we're saying we are getting the same results because we are electing the same leaders. Now, I'm not advocating for wiping them all out and starting over, but we could. Every two years, we could have a brand new House of Representatives. The whole place could be emptied and we could start over. You know, every two years, it's a third of the Senate. Every four years, it's the White House, which we've got a we've got a presidential election coming up. If the electorate in the United States, if the voters in America, I would say citizens in America need to become voters, and then the voters need to start looking at why we're getting the same results. And many times it's because we're voting for the same people that have the same policies, that do the same things, that get the same results. Time to switch it up. Time to switch it up. We got to talk about Nashville. Uh, We're going to talk about all of the details, and you'll hear a little bit more from an expert on what you as a parent should be asking of school districts to feel a little safer. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Tragedy yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee, but it has got implications that are all over the place. And I'm going to explain what they are. And then I want to get into some of the what I think are solutions. And I want you to hear from my friend Steve Hooper. Uh, Steve is a wealth of information along with his wife. Um, they have a company called Tripwire Security Solutions. Um, between them, 50 plus years in the FBI. And this is what they do. And so he's the one I always call on when I need information. And he was on with me earlier. So I'll get to his sound in a moment about you as a parent and what you should know. But here's what we're arguing about. This is the world we live in, and it makes me crazy because um, this this involves someone that is trans. So all of a sudden, everybody, and I get it, has to dance around how they talk about it. Do they acknowledge it? Is it important? What do you say? Everybody's calling her she and her, but she's transitioning from female to male. So why aren't they calling her him? And I'm not trying to joke. I'm not. I'm being very serious. These are real concerns in in you know media outlets everywhere. Now it's different for me. I'm in talk radio. I'm not bound by a style. Book. I don't have to do those things, but even I want to be sensitive. I want to talk about the realities of the story without getting caught up in nonsense. But the fact of the matter is, this is a person the police are saying wrote a manifesto and uh, had some kind of a grudge against this school that she attended when she was younger in third and fourth grade. So it is important. It is a part of the story. And the other part of it, and here was the deciding factor for me. I'm not making it the part of the story. I'm not saying that this happened because this person is trans. I'm saying that if it were the other way around, if this person had saved the lives of three nine-year-olds instead of killing three nine-year-olds, the word trans would be the first word everywhere. No doubt about it. I mean, being trans would have nothing to do with the life-saving, just like it might have nothing to do with the killing. But that would be the focus. Why can't we look at this and say, this is who did it? If you're black, if you're white, if you're male, if you're female, if you're gay or straight or trans, if you're evil, if you've done something evil, if any of those things play a role in it, when a when a white kid with a shaved head walks into a black Bible study and shoots up African-Americans in a Bible study, race has something to do with it. So you talk about the racial aspect because that was part of what was going on. This person was sent to a Christian school as a young person and a young girl and had some kind of a grudge against the school. Possibly that's what the police are looking into in the manifesto. We'll find out more. We're going to argue about guns. We always do. It makes me crazy because, and I mean this respectfully, I don't mean it as an insult, but the vast majority of people that argue about in favor of gun control know nothing about guns. That's what makes me angry. If you knew what you were talking about, if you knew what the process was like to get qualified to have a firearm, if you knew people that had firearms and knew them intimately, you were friendly with them, you, you, you saw how they behaved and how they handled things, your opinion would be more valuable. You, you are afraid of guns. Many of them are. I don't mean none of this is an insult. It's an observation. You don't know anything about guns. You've never owned guns. No one in your family really has owned guns. You've never been around them. You've never held one. You never want to hold one. I want nothing to do with them. And yet you're going to tell the world, especially the people that know what they're doing, how to behave, which is ridiculous on its face.
But the other part of it is this. We want it to end, too. We have kids. We have grandkids. I have grandchildren in the public school system. The idea that I don't care about dead children or I care about guns more. No, no, no. I care about solutions. Let's go to Steve Hooper. I want you to hear some things from Steve Hooper. Pre-incident behaviors. He talks about this owning the threat. It is about hardening the targets. But it's also about the behavior of a lot of people and intervention. A change in behavior that's noticeable that and you just make sure you ask questions as to why this change in behavior. And you have a plan in place to reach out to whether it's family or law enforcement or uh, proactive steps to prevent it from happening, not just planning to respond to it if it does happen. So Steve talks about crisis managers. In other words, uh, there is a team of people, usually a crisis management team. But there is one person that he talks about that owns the threat. And what that means is your job on this team is to be the clearinghouse where they store the intel gatherer on information. So I'm going to give you an example. You work with someone that's odd, you know. But at lunch one day, this person makes some kind of an offhanded comment about wanting to kill people. So you go to whoever that is in your company, whether it's HR, whoever it is, and you say, I don't know what this means, but so-and-so made this comment about killing so-and-so. And it's documented. The behavior gets darker. The behavior gets more weird. They seem obsessed with a fellow employee. Somebody else goes. So there is somebody that is documenting all of these changes in behavior where intervention can happen before you are intervening in the crime being committed. So he talks about this crime intervention group. It involves a group that focuses on what they perceive as a threat. But the term threat doesn't mean that the person's uh, you anticipate that they're going to do something dangerous. It just means a change in behavior by a particular student or students that you consider concerning. And then someone owns that threat. That crisis management team focuses on it every day. So there is the politics of this where we jump to conclusions and everybody yells and screams about guns and that other people are saying, no, this person is mentally ill. And here, so here's let me give you a couple of examples. This is why you don't jump to conclusions. Trans activists called for a day of vengeance before the Nashville shootings. Um, this is they called for a day of vengeance across the country. The main day of event, a vengeance event was scheduled to occur in Washington, D.C. this Saturday at 11 a.m. But other events will occur on March 31st, according to this Trans Day of Visibility. But organizers wrote, we need more than vans of, uh, uh, visibility. The time is now. Um, one of the cities where they were going to do this is Nashville. Here's another one. College professor suspended after saying it would be far more admirable to kill racist speakers than to protest. And he's talking about conservative speakers on college campuses, that it would be more noble to kill them as opposed to just protesting them. So do you think does those, does when you talk about language that is inciting violence, when you talk about behavior that incites violence and when you want to blame groups of people for inciting violence, does it work on this side? The fact of the matter is reasonable people, reasonable people have disagreements and they sometimes get animated. They don't get violent. They don't get violent. 
And if you're not willing to say on your side of the conversation, when somebody on my side acts like an idiot, I want nothing to do with them and I'm going to call them an idiot. And I'm going to make a promise to you, I'll do the same thing. Then we have reasonable conversations about solutions. What we don't do is let the fringe that would either get guns and go shoot up people or tell people you should kill somebody you disagree with. It's better. It's more noble, more honorable than just protesting them. There's a lot to change, a lot to change. And there is a very surprising poll on patriotism in America. I'm going to, send, I'm going to share the results coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it as always. A jarring new poll is the headline from the Washington Post. Jarring new poll on patriotism. A poll shows a new low in American patriotic feelings. Um, while 70% of Americans in 1998 said patriotism was very important to them, the number dropped to 60% in 2019, and today it sits at 38%, about half of where it was 25 years ago. We've also seen a sharp drop in views about religion, having children, and community involvement. Um, so just the jumping off point from here, um, why would that be? I, because I'm in a little bit of a bubble. I love where I live. I am a, a transplant to Arizona, but I, it is home to me. And I would say, and I've traveled all over the country, outside of Texas and possibly New York, because New Yorkers love saying they're from New York. Um, and uh, it, it's it's you also notice that New Yorkers use it as an excuse to be obnoxious. Right, Julia? <laughs> I got the thumbs down. I'm glad it was a thumb. I'm glad it was a thumb um, that, you know, when someone from New York does something or says something obnoxious, they say, hey, I'm from New York, you know, and so they use it as an excuse. But um, aside from Texas, I would say people from Arizona are as patriotic about this state as Texans are about being from Texas. In Texas, it doesn't matter if your parents brought you to Texas the day after you were born. If you don't have a Texas birth certificate, you're not a Texan. But there has always been a patriotism about America. I, I have a friend who just went to Washington, D.C. for the first time, and she went as an adult. And I loved the conversation about D.C. because I don't get to go that often, but I've been a few times, more than most. Um, and I still get teary-eyed when I go. I still do, and I'm not ashamed of it. I, I, I hope I never lose that feeling. Every time I walk on the National Mall, every time I'm at the Lincoln Memorial, I, I get, um, not to mix topics, but the reason why I don't defend January 6th and the behavior of people that were in there, I don't think it was an insurrection. I don't think people were trying to take over the country. I don't, I'm not going to give them that much credit, but I'm certainly never going to defend anybody who did damage in that building. Um, that building is as sacred to me as a church is to some. It is where my government was founded to walk through that building, to walk through the Capitol Rotunda and look at those portraits on the wall, to see the Declaration of Independence or to see our Constitution, to walk in the Statuary Hall and see the medallions in the floor, um, the history in that building. Um, 
it moves me to tears. It really does. And I hope I never lose that patriotic feeling. So I'm, I guess I live in a bit of a bubble because I, although I am concerned about a lot of things and I'm more active about a lot of things and I'm pretty passionate about the things I believe in, I've never lost my belief or my love for my country. Never. I still think our economy where it is. I don't agree with this administration, a lot of what they're doing. Um, but I don't think our country is is going to be ruined forever. I don't think any president. Thank God our founding fathers had the ability the forethought to look at what they did and realize what power, how power corrupts people. And no one president is going to ruin the country. For the Democrats, uh, Trump didn't do it. Bush didn't do it. For the Republicans, um, it wasn't Obama and it isn't it isn't Biden. They didn't ruin the country. It's not going to be ruined. And we will always persevere. But why would a poll say this? What's going on culturally in the U.S.? What is happening culturally that would make people say love for your country is not that big of a deal? I will tell you that that is this is terrifying to me. Um, everybody fights. Everybody. So let's go with the most basic relationships. You have um, my brother and I are best friends. My brother is my best friend. We've had arguments. I've never once been concerned that there wasn't a deep love for each other. For all of you involved in marriages that are happy marriages, you fight, you argue. It's not easy. Sometimes the relationship is strained, but you still have a belief in the relationship. And when you lose that belief in the relationship, that's when the relationship's in trouble. Why is it that we live in a country where the entire world is knocking on our door? We've got border issues at the north. We've got border issues to the south. We have more people clamoring to come here than ever before. They're coming here illegally. They're coming here by any means necessary. There was just a hang glider, a motorized hang glider that flew from Cuba to Key West for a couple of people to try to get their feet on U.S. soil and stay here. Why is it that the the immigrants to this country hold it in such high regard and the citizens of this country that were born here don't even give a damn about patriotism? I'm not even criticizing. I want to know why. What is it that the Americans don't see in their country that the rest of the world does? Not everybody loves us. Not everybody likes us. But their world wants to come here. They want what we have, and we don't even care that we have it. This is the epitome of taking things for granted. And I don't know how to change it. I mean, I know how it is maintained in me, but just because it works for me doesn't mean it works for anybody else. I was a patriot. When I say patriot, I was patriotic when I was poor as a kid, when we had nothing. I loved my country and stood for the national anthem and put my hand over my heart and cried when it played, and I do it now. It isn't economic status. It isn't any of those things. And I wonder why it's changing. I would love to have the answer to that or at least know what I think I have the answer to it. Just after 11, the zone in downtown Phoenix, a judge has decided it needs to be cleaned up. How does Phoenix do it and what will they do next?